Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. We three kings of Orient are, goes the familiar Epiphany Carol. But I always have to shake my head at it uh, because the wise men who came to worship the Christ child uh, weren't, well, they weren't kings. Uh, there may not have been three of them, and they technically were not from what we consider the Orient. Um, so, great beginning to the song then. But so let, let's just set that aside for now. We'll come back to the wise men later. And let's look at three other kings from our appointed psalm for today, Psalm 72. Now, psalm 72 is, uh, as Patrick Henry Reardon writes in Christ in the Psalms, uh, it's likely a psalm that was composed for use at coronations of royal, uh, at ceremonies of royal coronation. So, you get the impression, he writes, that it's used at the ritual point of dynastic transition. That is, when the kingdom, the dynasty, is transferred from one king to another, usually from father to son. So imagine this, this grand coronation ceremony, greater than, than King Charles or any American president, and at the pinnacle moment, when the crown is being placed on the new king, this psalm is sung. Consider the opening line as a prayer and promise during the ceremony. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. This psalm was written by King Solomon, uh, the son of King David. And so it's possible that Solomon composed this for his own coronation, uh, or maybe he expected for his son. Uh, when the tr for him, when the kingdom was transferred from his father David. Now, th there's two themes that play out throughout this psalm. The first is a prayer, even a promise, that the king and the king's rule would extend wherever the sun rises, and the king would remain for as long as the sun remains shining. That for as long and as far as the star of our world would remain shining, so would the king of the line of David. This brings to mind the promise from God to King David in 2 Samuel 7 that the king would, that a king would come from his line whom God said would be his own son and through him the kingdom would be established forever, even beyond the stars, a, a, a light shining in the darkness. The second theme here is a prayer and a promise that the new king would rule in justice and righteousness. These two words are used over and over again in the psalm. This reminds us of, Saul, of King Solomon's own prayer for a wise heart in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, a wise heart, that he would be the wisest king, that he would enable him, that would enable him to govern God's people justly and with righteousness. But both aspects of the psalm and these two narratives of Solomon's wisdom and, and David's permanence, uh, well, they prove to be a little more than slightly problematic for Israel. 
for one, the wisest of wise men, Solomon, well, his wisdom didn't last very long, not even to the end of his life. Finding himself constantly in the midst of adultery, he proved his indifference to his wisdom. Uh, to put it another way, Solomon had book smarts, he had street smarts, but he had no self-control, which led him not only to his own ruin, but also to the ruin of his entire kingdom. So much for ruling in righteousness and justice with his wisdom. Similarly, the, the kingdom of David was supposed to be expansive and permanent, but shortly after the death of David's first successor, Solomon, more than half of the kingdom is broken away. And not only that, but no king from the line of David would ever sit on his throne again after the fall of Jerusalem in only 586 B.C. So much for the permanent. These two kings, David and Solomon, would seem to make this whole psalm uh, at best nothing more than wishful thinking. Or at worst, a grand delusion, a fantasy or self-deception as rulers often tend to do, to think of themselves more highly than they ought, that, that they and only they are the ones uh, to make their country great. But there's a third king, the true messianic king, the anointed one that finds his fulfillment, that this psalm finds his fulfillment in. It's he of whom the archangel Gabriel told the Virgin Mary that the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David. And of his kingdom, there would be no end. Jesus fulfills David's eternal kingdom. And Jesus is wisdom incarnate, come to rule his people in justice and righteousness. Solomon writes here that kings will come. They will bow down and offer gifts. Of course, now today we, we do think of the Magi who came to offer gifts to Jesus, gifts of gold showing his kingly authority, gifts of incense showing his, his divinity as the smoke rises up to heaven, and finally the burial spice, a spice of myrrh showing his humanity, that not even Jesus as true man can escape death. We know there were three gifts, but we don't know how many magi there were. What we do know is what the magi represent. These Gentile wise men coming to Jesus means that Christ has not only come for one nation, but for all nations. Christ has come to be king, to save and rule in righteousness and justice, not merely for one kingdom, but for all of them. Consider how many kings Solomon says will bow down in the psalm. He says those in the wilderness, that is those from Ethiopia and the tribes in the desert below Egypt, uh, will bow down before him. Uh, the, his enemies will lick the dust before him. The kings of, of Tarsus, uh, that's possibly Spain. And the islands around, uh, around uh, what's modern-day Italy and Greece, so in the ancient world that'd be uh, Corsica, Sardinia, Sicily, Crete, Cyprus, Rhodes, etc., they shall offer gifts. Uh, the kings of Sheba, that's Arabia, and Seba, that would be the descendants of Cush on the Arabian Peninsula, they all shall bring presents. So how many kings will bow down to this messianic king? 
Well, not merely three kings from the Orient, but Solomon lists here at least 12. But this is not an exhaustive list. Solomon adds, yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. It's actually very important for us today, and timely because as we're reminded by, by modern corporate news media, this date, January 6th, is, is famous now for what the media calls a, an insurrection, an, un, an unpeaceful transition of power or dynasty. And whatever your thoughts are about it, Epiphany and this psalm of dynastic transition reminds us that, that no king, no earthly power can ever bring the blessings we need or the blessings this psalm extols. All kings, every single one, must bow as the Magi did to the infant messianic king, this Jesus, this king of kings. No other king, no other ruler, no governor, president, queen, king, or emperor, no matter how good or successful or long their reign, could fulfill the hopes listed here in the psalm. Neither David nor Solomon nor any king since has ever been able to rule people purely out of righteousness and not for selfish gain. No other rule, ruler has been able to give justice to the poor. For as much as our modern society is obsessed with justice and equity, it will never be possible on this side of heaven. We cannot justify ourselves. We simply cannot. It must come from the outside. Thankfully, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. The righteousness has come from heaven. And so great is the rule of this king that the psalm says, the mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. This king's rule is so extraordinary that it has a positive effect even on the entire land, on all of creation. And we know this is true because it's an extension of the fourth commandment. God promises in the fourth commandment that all who honor father and mother, all who honor earthly authority, including kings who, who honor the true authority of God, well, the things will go well for them, and they will live long on the earth. They will be benefactors of the permanence promised to David and the wisdom and justice promised to Solomon. Not because of David or Solomon or any earthly king, but because of Jesus, who is the king of and we really take for granted this universality because we have in, in mind the, the, the lacking earthly kings that we see around us today. Of course, Jesus is the king of everybody. Of course, he's the king of kings. Who wouldn't want to rule as many people as possible? But Jesus is a different kind of king. He's no tyrannical lord and he's no delusional despot. He's the redeemer. Come to buy the world back not by being served, but by serving and giving his life as a ransom for many. When the psalm says the mountains will bring peace to the people, it also has in view another set of mountains. Mount Zion, where the king lived, and Mount Calvary. And there, on a hill, the dynasty is transferred in, in the most unlikely of ways. Jesus is crowned 
not with gold, but with thorns. And he receives, he receives finally his title, his title of anointed king will be the inscription above him on the cross, the king of the Jews. And as he dies, the temple curtain on Mount Zion is, ri is ripped open. The mountains have brought peace to the people. His dynasty, his kingdom, the entire world is transferred from death to life, from darkness to light. And, and consider what it means that this kingdom is universal. If Jesus is universally our king and our savior, then that also means that he is my king and my savior. He is the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people, Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen.